Part One of the Lovesiac History by Palladius, translated by W. K. Lowther Clark, B.D. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One, Isidore. The first time that I set foot in the city of the Alexandrians, in the second consulate of the great emperor Theodosius, who now lives with the angels because of his faith in Christ. I met in the city a wonderful man, distinguished in every respect, both as regards character and knowledge, Isidore the priest, hospitaller of the Church of Alexandria. He was said to have fought successfully his first youthful contests in the desert, and I actually saw his cell in the mountain of Nitria. But when I met him, he was an old man, seventy years of age, who lived another fifteen years and then died in peace up to the very end of his life he wore no linen except a headband never had a bath nor partook of meat his slender frame was so well knit by grace that all who did not know his manner of life expected that he lived in luxury time would fail me if i were to tell in detail the virtues of his soul he was so benevolent and peaceable that even his enemies the unbelievers themselves reverenced his shadow because of his exceeding kindliness so great a knowledge had he of the holy scriptures and the divine precepts that even at the very meals of the brethren he would have periods of absent-mindedness and remain silent and being urged to tell the details of his ecstasy he would say I went away in thought on a journey, seized by contemplation. For my part, I often knew him weep at table, and when I asked the cause of the tears, I heard him say, I shrink from partaking of irrational food, being myself rational and destined to live in a paradise of delight owing to the power given us by Christ. He became known to all the senate at Rome and to the wives of the nobles when he paid his first visit in the company with Athanasius the bishop and on a second occasion with Demetrius the bishop. A man of great wealth and extensive property, he wrote no will when he came to die and left neither money nor goods to his sisters, who were virgins. But he commended them to Christ, saying, he that created you will provide for your life as he has done for me now there was with his sisters a community of seventy virgins when i visited him as a young man and besought that i might be trained in the solitary life since i was in the full vigour of my age and needed not discourse but bodily hardships like a good tamer of colts he led me out from the city to the so-called solitudes five miles away Chapter Two, Dorotheos. Handing me over to Dorotheos, a Theban ascetic, who was spending the sixtieth year in his cave, he ordered me to complete three years with him in order to tame my passions, for he knew that the old man lived a life of great austerity, bidding me return to him afterwards for spiritual instruction. But being unable to complete the three years owing to a breakdown in health, I left the Otheros before the three years were up, for living with him one got parched and all dried up. For all day long in the burning heat he would collect stones in the desert by the sea, and build with them continually and make cells. And then he would retire in favor of those who could not build for themselves. Each year he completed one cell. And once when I said to him, 
what do you mean father at your great age by trying to kill your poor body in these heats he answered thus it kills me i kill it for he used to eat daily six ounces of bread and a bunch of herbs and drink water in proportion god is my witness i never knew him stretch his legs and go to sleep on a rush mat or on a bed but he would sit up all night long and weave ropes of palm leaves to provide himself with food then supposing that he did this for my benefit i made careful inquiries also from other disciples of his who lived by themselves and ascertained that this had been his manner of life from a youth and that he had never deliberately gone to sleep only when working or eating he closed his eyes overcome by sleep so that often the piece of food fell from his mouth at the moment of eating so great was his drowsiness once when i tried to constrain him to rest a little on the mat he was annoyed and said if you can persuade angels to sleep you will also persuade the zealous man one day about the ninth hour he sent me to fill the jar at his well in view of a meal at the ninth hour well as it happened i went and saw an asp at the bottom of the well and stopped drawing water and went away and said to him we are dead men father for i saw an asp in the well but he smiled gravely and looked at me for a time and then shaking his head said if the devil decides to become a serpent or tortoise in every well and to fall into our water supply will you refrain from drinking forever and he went out and drew the water himself and was the first to swallow some of it fasting saying where the cross passes the evil of anything is powerless chapter three potamiana this blessed man isidore who had met antony of blessed memory told me a story which is worth recording which he had heard from antony there lived in the time of maximianus the persecutor a very beautiful maiden called potamenia a certain man's slave her master failed to seduce her though he besought her eagerly with many promises at last mad with rage he handed her over to the then prefect of alexandria giving her up as a christian and one who abused the times and the emperors because of the persecutions and suggesting this to him with the help of money if she falls in with my design keep her without punishment but if she should remain puritanical he asked that she might be punished lest continuing to live she should mock at his licentious ways she was brought before the tribunal and the fortress of her soul was attacked by various instruments of torture for one of them the judge had a great cauldron filled with pitch and ordered it to be heated when the pitch was now bubbling and terribly hot he gave her the choice either go away and obey the wishes of your master or know that i shall order you to be plunged into the cauldron but she answered and said god forbid that there should be another such judge who orders one to submit to licentiousness so in a fury he ordered her to be stripped and thrown into the cauldron but she lifted up her voice and said by the head of your emperor whom you fear if you have decided to punish me thus order me to be let down gradually into the cauldron that you may know what endurance the christ whom you know not bestows on me and being let down gradually during a space of one hour she died when the pitch reached her neck chapter four Thethymus the blind 
very men indeed of the men and women who reached perfection in the church of alexandria were worthy to inherit the land of the meek among these was Thedimus, the blind author i met him four times in all visiting him at intervals during a period of ten years he was eighty-five years old when he died he was blind having lost his sight at the age of four so he told me and he had never learned to read nor gone to school this was not necessary for he had nature's teacher his own conscience strongly developed he was adorned with such a gift of knowledge that so it was said the passage of scripture was fulfilled in him the lord maketh the blind wise for he interpreted the old and new testament word by word and such attention did he pay to doctrine setting out his exposition of it subtly yet surely that he surpassed all the ancients in knowledge once when he tried to make me say a prayer in his cell and i was unwilling he told me this story into this cell antony entered for the third time on a visit to me i besought him to say a prayer and he instantly knelt down in the cell and did not make me repeat my words giving me by his action a lesson in obedience so if you want to follow in the steps of his life as you seem to since you are solitary and living away from home to acquire virtue lay aside your contentiousness and he told me this also as i was thinking one day about the life of the wretched emperor julian how he was a persecutor and was feeling dejected and by reason of my thoughts i had not tasted bread even up to late evening it happened that as i sat in my seat i was overcome by sleep and i saw in a trance white horses running with riders and proclaiming tell didymus to-day at the seventh hour julian died rise then and eat they said and send to athanasius the bishop that he too may know and i marked he said the hour and the month and the week and the day and it was found to be so chapter five alexandra he told me also of a maid-servant named alexandra who having left the city and shut herself up in a tomb received the necessaries of life through an opening seeing neither women nor men face to face for ten years and in the tenth year she fell asleep having arrayed herself for death and so the woman who went as usual to see her and got no answer informed us so we broke down the door and entering in found her fallen asleep concerning her also the thrice blessed melania about whom i shall speak later used to say i never saw her face to face but standing by the opening i urged her to say the reason why she shut herself up in a tomb and she called out to me through the opening a man was distressed in mind because of me and lest i should seem to afflict or disparage him i chose to betake myself alive into the tomb rather than cause a soul made in the image of god to stumble when i said she continued how then do you endure never meeting any one but struggling with axidy she replied from early morn to the ninth hour i pray hour by hour spinning flax the while during the remaining hours i meditate on the holy patriarchs and prophets and apostles and martyrs and having eaten my bread i remained in patience for the other hours waiting for my end with cheerful hope chapter six the rich virgin 
but I must not omit from my story those also whose life has been characterized by pride, that I may praise those who have remained true and ensure the safety of my readers. For there was a virgin at Alexandria of humble exterior, but haughty inward disposition, exceedingly wealthy, but never giving an obol either to a stranger or a virgin or a church or a poor man. In spite of the frequent exhortations of the fathers, she was not weaning herself from material things. Now she had relations living, one of whom, her sister's daughter, she adopted, and night and day she kept promising the girl should have her money, having fallen away from her aspirations after heaven. For this is a form of the deceit of the devil, who afflicts us with pangs of avarice under the pretext of family affection for it is common knowledge that he cares nothing about family ties, since he teaches men to murder brothers and mothers and fathers. But even if he seems to inspire anxiety for relations, he does not do so from benevolent feelings towards them, but to practice the soul in unrighteousness, knowing the decree, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now it is quite possible for a man without neglecting his own soul to be influenced by a godly consideration and give assistance to his kinsfolk if they are in want. But when a man subordinates his whole soul to the interests of his relations, he comes under this law, reckoning his soul unto vanity. But the sacred psalmist sings thus concerning those who care for their soul with fear. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? meaning it is rarely any one does. Or who shall stand up in his holy place? He that has clean hands and is pure in heart, who did not lift up his soul unto vanity. For as many as neglect the virtues, these lift up the soul unto vanity, believing that it is dissolved with the body. Wishing to bleed this virgin, so the story goes, and thus relieve her of her avarice, the most holy Macarius, the priest and superintendent of the hospital for cripples, devises this expedient. In his youth he had been a worker in precious stones, what they call a lapidary, so he goes and says to her, Some precious stones, emeralds and sapphires, have fallen by fate into my hands, and I cannot say whether they are a treasure trove or stolen property. They have not been valued, since they are beyond price, but any one who has the money can buy them for five hundred pounds. If you decide to take them, you can get back your five hundred pounds from one stone, and use the rest for the adornment of your niece. Excited by his words, the virgin is caught by the bait and falls at his feet. By your feet, she says, let no one else get them. Then he invites her, come to my house and look at them. But she had not the patience for this, but flings down the five hundred pounds before him, saying, You want them? Take them, for I do not want to see the man who sells them. But he takes the five hundred pounds and gives them for the needs of the hospital. Time sped along, and she was shy of reminding him of the matter, for Macadius clearly had a great reputation in Alexandria, being a lover of God and charitable. He remained vigorous until he was a hundred, and we too passed some time with him. Finally, having found him in the church, she says to him, I beg you, what decision have you come to about those stones for which I gave the five hundred pounds? But he answered thus, The moment you gave me the money, I deposited it for the price of the stones, and if you would like to come and see them in the hospital, 
for there they are. Come and look if they please you. If not, take back your money. So she came very willingly. Now the hospital had women on the first floor and men on the ground floor, and having taken her there he brings her into the porch and says to her, Which do you want to see first, the sapphires or the emeralds? She says to him, As you please. He takes her to the upper floor and shows her the women disabled in hand or feet with their disfigured faces and says to her, Behold your sapphires. Then he takes her down again and says to her, showing her the men, Behold your emeralds. Do they please you? If not, take back your money. So she turned and went out, and returning home fell ill from excess of grief, because she had not done this thing in a godly fashion. Afterwards she thanked the priest, when the maid for whom she was planning died childless after marriage. CHAPTER Seven: THE MONKS OF NITRIA so then, after my visit to the monasteries round Alexandria, with their two thousand or so most noble and zealous members, and my three years' sojourn there, I left them and went to the mountain of Nitria. Between this mountain and Alexandria lies the lake called Maria, seventy miles in extent. Having sailed across this, I came to the mountain on its south side in a day and a half. Next to this mountain lies the great desert, which stretches as far as Ethiopia and the Mazake and Mauritania. On the mountain live some five thousand men with different modes of life, each living in accordance with his own powers and wishes, so that it is allowed to live alone or with another or with a number of others. There are seven bakeries in the mountain, which serve the needs both of these men and also of the anchorites of the great desert six hundred in all so having dwelt on the mountain for a year and having received much benefit from the blessed fathers arcisius the great and putuvastes and asion and cronius and serapion and having been spurred on by hearing their many tales about the fathers i penetrated into the innermost desert in this mountain of nitria there is a great church by which stand three palm-trees, each with the whip suspended from it. One is intended for the solitaries who transgress, one for robbers if any pass that way, and one for chance-comers, so that all who transgress and are judged worthy of blows are tied to the palm-tree and receive on the back the appointed number of stripes, and are then released. Next to the church is a guest-house, where they receive the stranger who has arrived until he goes away of his own accord, without limit of time, even if he remains two or three years. Having allowed him to spend one week in idleness, the rest of his day they occupy with work either in the garden or bakery or kitchen. If he should be an important person, they give him a book, not allowing him to talk to anyone before the hour. In this mountain there also live doctors and confectioners, and they use wine and wine is on sale. All these men work with their hands at linen manufacture, so that all are self-supporting. And indeed at the ninth hour it is possible to stand and hear how the strains of psalmody rise from each habitation, so that one believes that one is high above the world in paradise. They occupy the church only on Saturday and Sunday, 
there are eight priests who serve the church in which so long as the senior priest lives no one else celebrates or preaches or gives decisions but they all just sit quietly by his side this arcisius and many other old men with him whom we saw were contemporaries of the blessed antony some among them they told me had also known a moon of nitria whose soul antony saw being taken up and conducted to heaven by angels Arcisius used to say that he also knew Pacomius of Tabanisi, a prophet in Archimandrite, over three thousand men, of whom I shall speak later. Chapter 8. A Moon of Nitria Arcisius used to say that a moon lived in this wise. When he was a young man of about twenty-two, he was constrained by his uncle to marry a wife. He himself was an orphan being unable to resist the pressure of his uncle he thought it best to be crowned and take his seat in the nuptial chamber and undergo all the marriage rites when all the guests were gone out after settling the pair to sleep on the couch in the bridal chamber a moon gets up and locks the door then he sits down and calls his blessed companion to him and says to her come here lady and then i will explain the matter to you the marriage which we have contracted has no special virtue let us then do well by sleeping in future each of us separately that we may please god by keeping our virginity intact and drawing from his bosom a little book he read to the girl who could not read at all in the words of the apostle and the saviour and to most of what he read he added all that was in his mind and explained the principles of virginity and chastity so that convinced by the grace of god she said i too am convinced my lord and what further commands have you now i command he said that each of us lives alone in future but she could not endure this saying let us dwell in the same house but in different beds so he lived in the same house with her eighteen years during each day he occupied himself with his garden and balsam grove for he prepared balsam balsam grows like a vine requiring cultivation and pruning and much hard work then in the evening he would enter the house and offer prayers and eat with his wife and then having said the night prayers would go out such was their practice and both having attained impassivity the prayers of a moon prevailed and she says to him at last i have something to say to you my lord that if you hearken to me i may be convinced that you love me in a godly way he says to her say what you wish she says to him it is just that we should live apart you being a man in practising righteousness and i also eagerly following the same way as you for it is absurd that you should live with me in chastity and yet conceal such virtue as this of yours but he thanking god says to her then you keep this house, but I will make myself another house. And he went out and settled in the inner part of the Mount of Nitria, for there were no monasteries there yet, and he made himself two round cells. And having lived twenty-two years more in the desert, he died, or rather fell asleep. He used to see that blessed lady, his wife, twice each year. The blessed Athanasius, the bishop, in his life of Antony, told a marvellous story about this man how that he came to the bank of the river lycus with his disciple theodoros and shrinking from removing his clothes lest he should see him naked he was found on the other side 
having been carried across by angels without using the ferry. Such, then, was the life of the blessed Amun, and such his perfection, that the blessed Antony saw his soul carried to heaven by angels. I crossed this river once in a ferry, but with fear, for it is a canal leading from the great Nile. End of Part 1